The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. To invite you to open your Bible with me, if you haven't already started to do that, to Matthew and chapter 5. If you need one, reach out your hand uh, to a Bible in the pew rack, a blue Bible there in front of you. We are opening to Matthew's Gospel. We're now in a fourth week to begin on the Sermon on the Mount, these famous words that Jesus speaks to us. And we are in the the opening section of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes, where Jesus pronounces blessing upon certain individuals who live in his kingdom. And uh, these words are are quite famous. We're trying to grow in our understanding of them and see that they are are quite deep in their meaning. So Matthew chapter 5 is where you want to be. And if you've got your Bible open there, I want you to think for a moment about how strange it would be for you, say, on the 4th of July to be invited to a fireworks display at a friend's house or maybe the the city is putting on a fireworks display and it's been scheduled for 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Fireworks display at 12 o'clock in the afternoon and you think to yourself, fireworks don't look like much against the backdrop of a light sky. And I want you to take that metaphor. I want you to have that picture in mind here as we consider what Jesus is saying to us here in this second beatitude because the darker the sky, the more stunning the display. The darker the sky, the more stunning the display. And that is going to help us understand what Jesus is saying to us here in this second beatitude as we seek to to grow in our understanding of uh, our understanding of both our sin and the glory of God's grace. So, if you've got your Bible open, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word this morning. Father, we bow before you with our Bibles open, thankful that that we have a Bible, thankful that we have a Bible in a language that we can understand, read for ourselves, and sit under the teaching of your word in a way that is legal and doesn't bring about any kind of persecution. Lord, we are painfully aware that around the world that that is not so in all places, and so, Lord, we, we thank you for the grace of a church to come to, a Bible to read, a preaching to sit under as you speak to us in the authority of your word. And so now, Lord, as we come and sit at the feet of Jesus, as the disciples did in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, help us to hear the echoes of his words and may those echoes resound upon our hearts that we might believe and sincerely receive all that you would say to us now in the power of your spirit and in the authority of Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now hear God's word in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll just read the first four verses of Matthew chapter 5. This is the word of God. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And we'll be looking in verse 4 in the second beatitude this morning. And we want to see how uh, important it is to keep the connection between the first and the second beatitude. And hopefully we'll see that clearly this morning. I want us to see this in summary, that 
Jesus calls you, Jesus calls us to mourn in order that we might marvel. Jesus calls us to mourn so that we would marvel. And we'll see that in two places. And if you've got your outline there in the bulletin, you'll see where we're headed. The first thing that we want to understand here relative to mourning is that Christ calls us to mourn. And we have to understand what that mourning is. Christ calls us to mourn our sins. Now, as you look at that first beatitude, second beatitude, I'm sorry. As you look at the second beatitude in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. It really seems on the surface to be contradictory, as much of Jesus' teaching often seems to be. How can Jesus say that those who are sad are those who are happy? That the path to happiness is sadness and the way to rejoice is to mourn. Jesus is saying, blessed are those, happy are those, favored are those who are sad, who mourn. You have to ask again, what is what kind of mourning is Jesus talking about? And I have to admit that I had to be totally reminded about the context of this because when I hear the word mourn, my first thought is not what Jesus is talking about. My first thought of mourning is Uh, the lamenting of the sorrow of death. But Jesus is not talking here about natural life. In all of the Sermon on the Mount and in all of the Beatitudes, he is not just talking about life in an earthly sense in this earthly kingdom. And so an earthly and natural sense of the word mourning, which is really what our minds first go to when we think of mourning most likely, isn't actually the key to understanding this second Beatitude. And that makes sense because Jesus is not talking about mourning in an earthly sense because he is talking about blessing mourning. But God doesn't bless all kinds of mourning, does he? If you think about it like that, you could be a criminal and mourn the fact that you've been caught. God wouldn't necessarily bless that. You could be a a corrupt politician and mourn your loss of power. And that wouldn't necessarily be what Jesus is speaking of here. That wouldn't make sense. This second beatitude is not promising comfort to everyone who mourns for any reason. Jesus is speaking of a specific kind of mourning. And because Jesus is speaking of his spiritual kingdom and life in that spiritual kingdom, Jesus is here talking about spiritual mourning. And spiritual mourning in the context of this second beatitude is the mourning of grief over our sin. Jesus is calling his disciples to mourn, lament, be grieved over their sin. And that is not necessarily the encouragement that we often get with how to face our troubles and how to face our problems. You contrast what Jesus is saying here to perhaps the encouragement that you would get to uh, excuse your sin or justify your sin or brush your sin under the rug or try to deny your sin. No, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is causing his disciples to look square into the face of the reality of their fallen nature and not deny it, not excuse it, not seek to justify it, but rather to look it square in the eye and mourn over it. Jesus blesses those who mourn over their weakness and sinfulness. The word here that's used represents a heartfelt 
grieving of lamentation, to lament. Now, what should that look like in the life of the Christian disciple? What should that look like in the context of our, of our worship? You know, we've already done it this morning. Uh, when we have a call to confession in the context of a liturgical service of worship, and when we place in the mouths of God's people words to use to confess sin and then give the opportunity of uh, space for you to pray to God your own prayer of confession, why do we do that? Uh, we're not primarily interested in whether or not that makes you feel good about yourself. Because Jesus is not primarily interested in whether or not you feel good about yourself. He's interested in are you dealing honestly with the reality of your sin in such a way that you are looking it in the face and mourning it. I remember going to a, a worship service uh, one time and then interacting with the pastor who I knew relatively well. And uh, they didn't have any kind of aspect like that. And let me just say it might look different in different churches but an aspect of a prayer of confession and an assurance of pardon is a very important aspect of a worship service where we come into God's presence confessing our sins and receiving a word of assurance for their sins. And I asked the pastor, why don't, I mean, why don't, why don't you do that? And he was in the, the tradition that would normally do that and, and he genuinely said, because I, I don't want people to, to feel bad. Um, but the truth of the gospel requires that we must look in the face of our sins what does this look like? Maybe you have an idea of what it's looked like in your life, squaring with the reality of your own sin, but if you want a, a really strong example of what this looks like, you can look to the prophet Isaiah. And if you'd like to turn there, it's in Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6, uh, the prophet Isaiah gives us an example of what mourning over sin looks like. The prophet Isaiah is one who was given a vision of the majestic holiness of God's throne room. And early on in chapter 6, he sees that God's throne room was so great that even the angelic creatures who surrounded the throne cover their faces and worship God, crying out, holy, holy, holy. You see that in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of glory and the foundations of the threshold shook and the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And, and what is Isaiah's reaction to God's holiness? He says in verse five, and I said, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of it people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the lord of hosts isaiah's reaction to seeing god's holiness is that he knows that in himself he is utterly undone that because he is a man of sin standing before god's presence he pronounces the curse of death upon himself woe is me i cannot live let me die isaiah understands that if we come before god with our sin we cannot expect to live. And so we need, we need an answer for our sin. We need a hope for our sin. And just like the firework display at noontime, not making any sense, the brilliance of God's grace must be set against the backdrop of 
the utter blackness of our sin, the utter darkness, the utter destitution that our sins place us in. Grace looks spectacular against the backdrop of the darkness of our sins. But if we seek to deny the reality of our sins, we will undermine the beauty of God's grace and therefore its brilliance will not look so great to us. But when we do not deny the reality of our sin, God's grace is set on display for us. Or as Thomas Watson said it this way, very simply, until sin is bitter, Christ will never be sweet. Until sin is bitter, Christ will never be sweet. And Jesus is inviting us here, calling us into life in his kingdom in which we mourn over our sin. And so in in one very clear sense, Jesus is speaking about you and I as individual Christian people mourning over our sin. But I think it's important to note that that this could also be applied in other ways as well. That, That we can mourn over other sins, perhaps, in the church. When a brother or sister in the faith uh, has a real stumbling or a real failure, we can mourn that ourselves because we feel the weight of that stumbling. It is possible also as a Christian believer to mourn the sins of a nation, mourn the sins of society as we see evil and feel the weight of that and mourn it with sorrow. It is also possible, in another sense, to mourn other people's indifference to the gospel. Neighbors and loved ones who who hear of free grace and then scorn it, we mourn their indifference to the gospel of God's grace. But Jesus is here speaking about spiritual mourning. One more example of this before we move on to the blessing of comfort, though. Uh, Maybe you are or maybe you are not familiar with the name of Charles Coulson, Chuck Coulson. Uh, He was special counsel to Richard Nixon and gained notoriety during the Watergate scandal. He's the one, the first one who pled guilty to obstruction of justice and was the first member of the Nixon administration to be incarcerated. Right in the middle of the Watergate scandal, when Coulson was facing arrest and indictment, Uh, He speaks of, in his autobiography, a moment in his car, sitting alone and, and feeling the culmination of his life. And he writes this, he says this, That night when I sat alone in my car, my sin, my own sin, not just dirty politics, but the hatred and evil so deep within me was thrust before my eyes forcefully and painfully. For the first time in my life, I felt unclean. And worse of all, I knew that I could not escape. In those moments of clarity, I found myself driven irresistibly into the arms of the living God. Uh, Chuck Colson would go on to be incarcerated, but actually become the founder of a, a prison fellowship and go on to write many books and be a leading figure in evangelical Christianity uh, for, a, for a number of decades following his incarceration. But I love the fact that Colson says, it's not that I was caught, even though he was, facing indictment and incarceration. It's not that. It was the reality of my sin that I finally saw as offensive to the living God. Not just sadness over being caught, but undone before God's presence as Isaiah was. 
And Jesus in the second beatitude is calling us to feel that sense of mourning. And the reason why we must know that mourning is that Christ calls us to mourn our sins again in order that we might marvel at his grace. Because grace will not look brilliant if it is not seen as desperately needed. But because it is so desperately needed because of our sins, we mourn in the face of our sins and the offense to God's holiness and therefore we might marvel at his grace. Notice what Jesus says, that the one who mourns their sins is blessed. A couple weeks ago we saw what that meant, makairos, blessed, favored, um, lifted up, exalted, made to be happy. And also that the one who mourns their sins is not only blessed, but it is the one who mourns who receives comfort. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And of course, it's an obvious point of grammar that the they is those who mourn. In such a way as to suggest that it is possible for people to be made aware of their sins, but not mourn. And the blessing of comfort is not given to those who do not mourn. But to those who mourn their sins, the blessing of comfort is given. It's the blessing of the gospel, that the promise of the forgiveness of sins, that those who have sought refuge in the Savior's blood, his blood covers our sins. And to those, Jesus speaks this word of grace. You are forgiven. When Jesus speaks of being comforted here, this uh, verb tense could also be translated that blessed are the mourners, for they shall be immediately comforted, and they shall continue to be comforted. Not just a one-time comfort offered, but an immediate and eternal comfort given to those who mourn their sins. Think about it again in the context of our worship services when we have a call to confession and a corporate confession and an opportunity for private confession. We're not just doing that for the sake of liturgical repetition. We're not just doing that because we do it every Sunday. We're doing it because when we follow that pattern in the context of corporate worship, we're teaching the gospel to ourselves. We're teaching the gospel by saying, God calls us to mourn our sins. And all who come in mournful repentance of their sins also receive what? The word of assuring grace. In Jesus' name, you are forgiven. To me, it's one of the highest privileges of being a gospel minister. To declare in Jesus' name that not only today, but for yesterday's sake and for all of your tomorrows, In Jesus' name, you're forgiven. And that's what Jesus is speaking of here. We want to know that comfort and that security, that shelter from our sins, which is why Jesus has come, speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount, saying, this is what my kingdom offers. We also find Jesus saying similar words. Listen to them in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus goes into the synagogue and he unrolls a scroll from the prophet Isaiah And Jesus speaks this word. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus read these words in public and then he said, Today these words are fulfilled in your hearing because he has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor 
and liberty to the captives, comfort those who know that they need it. People of God, this is the comfort that we have in the gospel by Jesus' grace toward us. And I want you to think of this because if you're, if you're not already convinced of your need to mourn your own sins, that's an important reality, but why is there such good news for us when we mourn our sins to receive the comfort of Jesus? I want you to think of it this way. Jesus mourned sin. Jesus obeyed this beatitude here. He mourned sin. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept at Lazarus' graveside, feeling the sting of death upon his friend. But Jesus, when he mourned sin, never mourned his own sin. Because Jesus, as the Son of God, has no sin. He is the sinless Savior. He mourns our sin, but not his own. And perhaps most of all, some of the best news of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ does not just mourn your sin. He also conquers your sin so that your mourning would lead to comfort. By rendering the penalty of sin defeated, by emptying the grave of its power, drinking the cup of the Father's wrath to the very last drops, God might look upon you Because you, in verse 3, have intellectually come to the understanding that you are poor in your spirit. But the intellectual understanding of being poor in spirit must also lead to verse 4 and the second beatitude of mourning our sin. We know that we are poor in spirit. It leads us to emotionally mourn our sin. And as you know yourself poor in spirit and as you mourn your sin, God promises to lift you up. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, to trade your ashes for beauty, your mourning for gladness, that your fainting spirit might become clothed in praise. You ought to mourn your sin because it is the means of God comforting you from your sin. Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. Don't fear the truth about yourself. But rather... Believe that God will comfort those who mourn as he promises to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from our sins, and one day fully and finally remove all sin in the world. As we read in Revelation 21 that there is no longer death, nor mourning, nor crying, for the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. What that means then, dear friends, is that as a Christian believer, it is good for you to be, at the end of the day, displeased with yourself. To be displeased with yourself and the lackluster obedience of our sinful flesh. And the good news is, is that when we do not hide and when we do not seek to find a shelter in our own righteousness, we find a full and complete shelter in the wounds of Jesus and the grace that he offers to all who were mourn their sins and find the comfort that he gives to them. And so, people of God, there is no better opportunity to reflect upon that than in preparation for the Lord's Supper to say, I'm not looking to myself, but finding in Jesus 
the hope for all of the sins that I mourn and the grace that I enjoy and marvel at. Will you do that? And will you ask the Spirit to lead you perhaps deeper in mourning for your sins that you might marvel more deeply at His grace? Let us pray. Oh Lord, we confess that in ourselves we have nothing and that our own righteousness is but a a rope made of sand that we can never climb. And so, Lord, we find in Jesus all of the hope of comfort that we so deeply need. I pray today, especially for the one who finds themselves hopeless and without peace, that they may, looking upon Jesus, find all of the comfort that he promises when we forsake ourselves. Lord, it's good to believe the gospel, and your grace refreshes us at every step. And so may we as a people with prepared hearts, ready to eat and drink the sign of your covenant grace. And so Lord, bless us as we seek to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.